Good to be with you. I'll be reading from Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 56. One day he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And when, and then they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he woke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased. And there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water? And they obey him. <clears throat> then he sailed to the, to the country of Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on the land, there he met a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him, he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion. For many demons have entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they were begging him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the, herdman, when the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then the people went out to see what had happened. And he came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right hand, and they were afraid. And those that had seen it told him how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, and they were seized with great fear, so that he got into the boat in return. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus said to him, Away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, and, and falling at, his feet, at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. And Jesus went. The people pressed against him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living 
all of her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still preaching, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe she will be well. And when he came into the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her, but he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for the reading of your scripture. Thank you, Lord, for gathering us here today. And Lord, we ask you to be with Joel as he brings us the message. And us, with open ears, hear what he has to say. And Lord, we just say these things in your son's blessed name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. I bring you greetings from Valley Bible Church in White River Junction, where I have the privilege of serving as a pastoral resident under the supervision and training of the pastors and elders there. So it's uh, an honor to be allowed to look at God's Word together with you this morning. Before we do, uh, I know we already just prayed, but uh, let's pray again and invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us. God, our Father, you who through the eternal Spirit brought back Jesus our Lord from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, you who have promised that you will one day swallow up death the covering that lies over the faces of all the nations and wipe away every tear. We come to you this morning in faith and in hope that you are willing and ready to speak to us through your word. So, Father, we pray that you would do that. We pray that through my words, you would speak to the hearts of everyone here, that 
what we each need to receive from you, you would give us through this good word that you have given us. So Holy Spirit, we welcome and invite your presence in this place. And we dare to ask you to come to us because we come in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen. Well, last year, or last week, I'm sorry, last week was kind of an important Sunday for followers of Jesus. Every year in the springtime, we celebrate some amazing good news. Every year, in fact, we, we start, we end the year and start the year by celebrating the coming of Jesus, his birth. And then in the springtime around when Passover was, we remember his death on Good Friday and then his resurrection on Easter Sunday. And I know that was last week, you know, Easter already happened, but it's important that we keep on reflecting and remembering just what God has done for us in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, I know that last week, Aaron opened up 1 Corinthians 15, and the reality, the amazing reality, that Jesus physically came back to life. It wasn't just a, a myth or a pretty story. It was a real physical event. And there were witnesses who saw him and heard him and touched him. And the evidence of the resurrection is amazingly good. We have documents written by eyewitnesses. We have other documents like this one, the Gospel of Luke, that we're looking at today, that were compiled through careful interviews and research. Luke starts out by saying, I've carefully researched this and I'm presenting an orderly account so that you can know the certainty of the things you have been taught. This is a real event. The man, Jesus of Nazareth, came back to life. But so what? What does it mean? What difference does it make? Why should that matter to us? What made these witnesses not only say this happened, but proclaim it as good news to the world and not stop even in the face of deadly persecution? What was the big deal? Jesus' resurrection was not just the revival of a dead body. This isn't a Frankenstein story. It's not just that this body was moving around again. And it's, there are resurrection accounts in the Bible elsewhere. We have one here at the end of this passage. There are lots of people, not lots, but there's a number of people who rise from the dead in Scripture. But they rise back to the same kind of life that they had already, the same kind of life we have. It's a restoration of life. What Jesus did is more. And when Jesus rose, it was different from every other account we have of someone rising from the dead because there was no one there raising him. There's no, you know, you know, doctor, you know, applying the, you know, the electrical shock to get that heart beating again. There's no mad scientist, you know, getting the lightning and the, you know, chemicals and whatever. 
There's no sorcerer. There's no prophet. There's no holy man. There's no one doing anything. Jesus was dead, and then he got up. In the Gospel of John, we find that Jesus says he has the authority to raise himself. The authority to lay down his life and take it up again. The reality is that death could not hold Jesus. And that tells us something about this man. The resurrection of Jesus Christ forces us to reckon with Jesus' identity. And with the disciples, we need to ask the question, the question they ask in this story, who is this man? Who then is this? The answer we find in this story of one day in the life of Jesus of Nazareth. This was a long passage. There were a bunch of different scenes and episodes, but they're all connected in one continuous flow of Jesus taking this trip across the lake and then back again. Jesus, along the way, faces this series of challenges. First, this storm, and then this army of demons, and then suffering and death itself. And as we see Jesus encountering these obstacles, one by one, he overcomes them and undoes them. And the Gospel writer Luke here is leading us, the Holy Spirit is inviting us to a growing awareness of who Jesus is. Jesus is the one person who has the power to save us from darkness and from death. The first scene we find in verses 22 to 25. If you have your Bible, which I hope you do, and you have it open in front of you. You see this story. Jesus gets into a boat with the disciples. He goes across the lake, and he falls asleep. And the storm rises up. The first challenge that Jesus faces is the uncaring, destructive power of the physical world. You may have noticed that the universe is not a safe place for human beings. You look at the headlines. Tornadoes in the south. Earthquake in Turkey, Syria. Fires and floods. It's not that nature is against us, that it's hostile to us. It's that it, it doesn't care. A hurricane isn't out to get you. A blizzard isn't trying to deprive you of power. It happens, and you can't stop it. And today, 2,000 years later, we know more about how the physical universe works, and we can take some more steps to try to safeguard ourselves against disaster, and we should. But we still cannot control nature. 
And as we increase in our knowledge of nature, we not only increase in our ability to guard ourselves, but we increase in our knowledge of just how big and dangerous this universe we live in is. In Jesus' day, they didn't know about black holes. They didn't know about the vacuum of space. They didn't know about all the possibilities that are out there. And as you look more and more into this physical world, you realize how small, how puny, how powerless we are. That's where the disciples are in the middle of the lake. That's what they're facing. They are looking at nature just rolling down on them, this faceless power. And so they wake up Jesus like he's going to do anything. I mean, you know, there it is. It's a storm. But, you know, hey, man, wake up. This is it. You might as well be awake, Jesus. And then, Jesus blinks and maybe yawns, and he looks this uncaring, faceless storm in the face and says, quiet. And it stops. Like that. You see, nature is beyond our control. But it's not out of control. This world in which we live is beautifully ordered. It follows regular laws. There are these balanced forces that make existence and life possible that are completely mind-boggling. We live on this planet that has this perfectly engineered, exactly designed, tailored setup where the conditions for life are just right. It is a miracle that we exist at all, and it is a sign, an evidence, a undeniable pointer to the reality that this world is purposely, intricately, exactly orchestrated. There is a single mind and will that directs all things. And that's who was asleep in the boat. And so, the disciples rightly and reasonably totally freak out. It says, they were afraid. And they marveled, saying, who is this? Well, there's only one person who can control creation. And that's the Creator. The storm obeyed His voice because the storm always obeys His voice. The book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. That's who was there in the boat. Well, then Jesus steps out of the boat. He steps ashore and faces a second challenge. Verses 26 to 39, Jesus meets a man 
who is absolutely distorted and brutalized by demons. Now, this sounds weird to our culture, to people living today. We know a lot about the physical world, and we tend to discount anything that we can't explain by physical, natural causes. Our culture is unique in not acknowledging the reality of spiritual forces and spiritual evil. But evil is real. There is spiritual power out there. And interestingly, as our culture moves away from trusting in the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's a vacuum left behind. And many people, therefore, hunger for and want to get in contact with spiritual reality, to gain spiritual power. Well, this man had power. He did. He had superhuman strength. It, he is bound with chains on his hands and his feet, and he breaks these solid iron chains. No one can restrain him. He hulks out and goes off into the desert. He had power, but at a horrible, terrible price. The price of his sanity and his humanity. And we need to be aware that there are, right now, real spiritual beings of immense power who want us like that man. They would love nothing more than for all of us to have that kind of existence. We see demons taking control of people throughout the Gospels. But this is a, an army of demons. The, the man, when asked, you know, what's your name? Jesus is asking the evil spirit to identify itself. and says, legion. We are many. Uh, a legion was a Roman military unit of about 5,000 infantry. That's not counting the cavalry and you know, additional troops. And in the Gospel of Mark, uh, we read that when the, the demons leave and they go into the pigs, Mark mentions that there are about 2,000 pigs in this herd. And if each one is controlled by at least one demon, then yes, you have thousands of demons inhabiting this man's soul. But when Jesus makes a landing on the beach, the army surrenders immediately. It doesn't put up a fight. They, the demons just beg permission to leave in peace, please. Could we go? Could we go now? Don't hurt us. And all Jesus has to do is say a word to set this man free. And in this story, then, it's interesting what happens next. Jesus sends out the demons, the pigs run into the sea, and then you get the response from the locals. Jesus has landed in a Gentile area. He's gone across the Sea of Galilee, and these are pagan, idol-worshipping, non-Jewish people. That's why they have pigs. They don't, they're not kosher. And they run off to the town, and then everybody comes to see what has happened, and they see this man... sitting still, 
with clothes on, talking, saying, in his right mind. And so they asked Jesus to please leave. Please go away. It's not just that they're upset about losing their livestock. It's that they knew how much evil power was garrisoned in this man's life. And now this ordinary looking Jew has just stepped out of a boat and defeated it without breaking a sweat. And so they are, like the disciples in the boat, rightly and reasonably, totally freaked out. It says, when they saw this, they were afraid. And then all the people asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. Jesus' power was evident to them. But it didn't make any more sense to them than it did to the disciples. Who, who is this? They didn't know who he was. But what's interesting here is that throughout the Gospels, the, G, the demons, they know. That's why they react the way they do. The demons say to Jesus, What do you have to do with me, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't hurt me. Don't torment me, please. These rebellious powers are cowering before their creator. Colossians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul tells us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's who this man is. That's who stepped out of the boat. Jesus is Lord not only of physical reality, but of the hidden spiritual forces. And he's a savior. He saves this man. He's the only one who could have done it. The only one who can banish evil. The only one who can set you and me free from our struggles, our oppressions. And so Jesus then goes back across the lake. He's not wanted there. And we find a third challenge. This challenge is, is interesting. You have the start of one, and then it gets interrupted. And in verses 40 to 48, we see Jesus called upon to heal. Jesus is here encountering human suffering. Okay? Jesus is invited, begged by this man named Jairus 
to come and heal his daughter. He's called to help one sick person, but then on the way he heals another. And we have the story of this woman. This woman had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Uh, this is not a, a periodic monthly discharge. This is a constant, continual discharge of blood. Which is, of course, embarrassing and unpleasant. But remember, Jesus is back in the Jewish area now. And according to the law of Moses, this is also a defiling, unclean thing. This woman doesn't just have a medical problem, she has a religious problem. She is excluded from the worshiping community. And to touch her or anything she touches is to become also temporarily unclean. For 12 years. And she has tried everything. She has gone to all the medical professionals with no result. But this woman is, is admirable. She will not give up. She is going to get healed. She is going to touch Jesus because she knows something about him. She knows that God's power is with him to heal. And this story is this, it's this amazing story. Jesus is walking along in the crowd and without seeing this woman, without any interaction, when she touches his clothes, she's well again. Jesus has this intrinsic power. It's not that Jesus is a lucky rabbit's foot. You know, the, you, know you touch it the right way, rub it. You know, Jesus is this object that you can kind of carry around and you know, touch all the sick people with Jesus and they'll get better. And Jesus tells her, your faith has made you well. But that God's power was at work in Jesus to heal someone who he hadn't even seen. Tells us something about him. Jesus was mighty to save. She was made well. And that word made well, when he says, your faith has made you well, it's the same word that's elsewhere translated, saved. Your faith has saved you. The same word is used for the demon-possessed man in verse 36. They told him how the demon-possessed man had been healed, literally had been saved. Jesus came to save, to restore, to make things right, and he is able to. He is able to rescue anyone who comes to him by faith. So who is this man? He's the healer. He's the savior. He meets us in our suffering and our sorrow. He meets us in our struggle and our pain. And not even that is big enough to overcome the power of Jesus. But there's another challenge that Jesus faces here. Jesus 
now has to deal with that greatest, most final problem we face. Death itself. This woman believed that Jesus had the power to heal. But now this father, Jairus, is asked to believe in something even bigger. Jesus has taken time out from his urgent emergency mission to, to heal and talk with this woman. And while Jesus is there talking, Jairus' only child, his 12-year-old girl, dies. But Jesus hears this. And in verse 50, he answers him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be saved. Same word. Believe. I can save her from this. And Jairus desperately does. He doesn't say, never mind, go back. I've, I've got to arrange a funeral now. I need to be alone. He says, okay, all right, I'll do what you say. Come along. And they go into the house of death. And Jesus takes the hand of this lifeless corpse and just says, wake up. Child, get up. And just like that, she's back. He doesn't do any hocus-pocus. He doesn't have any special rituals. There isn't a long prayer. There isn't any magical anointing. It's just a touch of his hand and a word from his lips, and death is gone. Effortlessly. As effortlessly as he calmed the storm and banished the demons. As effortlessly as he healed a woman without, he didn't touch her, she touched him. It was no work for Jesus. As effortlessly as that, he calls the dead to life. Because he is life. Jesus is Infinite, unmeasured, unconquerable, irresistible, eternal, divine life. That is the power that radiates from him. The life of God himself. That's who Jesus is. And that's who we see in just one day of his earthly ministry. But then, of course, this is part of a longer book. The Gospel of Luke starts with Christmas and goes all the way to Easter and Jesus ascending to his Father. But, you know, we read the Gospel stories every year, Christmas time and Easter time, we, we revisit. But Luke gives us this whole story so we can see why Jesus' resurrection makes perfect sense. That's the first benefit I want to point out from this passage for us. The resurrection of Jesus is an abundantly well-attested historical event. 
There are all these witnesses independently verifying and confirming the fact that Jesus was alive again. But we don't just have reliable witnesses of the empty tomb or of the risen Christ. I think in some ways the biggest evidence for the resurrection is stories like this that show us who Jesus is. You see, once we've read a story like this, the question is not, how could this man have risen from the dead? The question is, how could this man not have risen from the dead? How would it have been possible for him not to come up from that grave? What pit could have been deep enough? What stone could have been big enough to hold him down? Hebrews 7.16 says that Jesus has the power of an indestructible life. Acts 2.24 says that it was impossible for death to hold him. When we see who Jesus is, his resurrection becomes not just believable, but undeniable. Of course he was going to rise. What else would have happened with this man? And then the second thing is, when we see who Jesus is, the Savior, the Conqueror, the Healer, the Creator, life, we see that His resurrection is not just something that happened long ago, a historical fact, but it is good news for us, for you and me. It is good news that Jesus is alive. Because we don't just need him to have died for us once upon a time. We need him to be alive for us now. Both. We need Jesus alive now. We don't just need the cross. We need a Savior. We need Jesus alive now because this is who Jesus is. He is life. And because he is alive... <laughs> Life is available to you and me. If we trust in Him and believe in Him and put our faith in Him, if we recognize that He is in control, that He is greater than any other power or force or authority, when we recognize that He cares for us in our suffering and struggle and pain, when we know that the life he gives is something that not even death can take away. And when we see that, we, we really can believe the good news. That a day is coming when every storm will be stilled. When all darkness will be banished away. When he will wipe away every single tear. And death will be swallowed up in victory. That's who Jesus is. <coughs> so you can trust him. You really can. With whatever you're facing, with whatever you ever could or will face, Jesus 
is able to save. Jesus is alive. You don't have to be afraid in the storm or in the dark or in your pain or even at the hour of your death. Because this man is the Son of God. He is life itself. And if you haven't yet put your faith in Him, if you don't know what it is like to experience His power, His grace, His love, His mercy, and I'd love to talk to you about that. I know Aaron would too, or anyone else here. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, people say all sorts of things about you. But here's who we say you are. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. We believe and hope in you. Father, we pray that as we face challenges, struggles, as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we would know and believe in this Jesus. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.